chapter 3. And so, dear brothers and sisters who belong to God and are bound for heaven, think about this Jesus whom we declare to be God's messenger and high priest. For he was faithful to God who appointed him, just as Moses served faithfully and was entrusted with God's entire house. But Jesus deserves far more glory than Moses, just as a person who builds a fine house deserves more praise than the house itself. For every house has a builder, but God is the one who made everything. Moses was certainly faithful in God's house, but only as a servant. His work was an illustration of the truths God would reveal later. But Christ, the faithful Son, was in charge of the entire household. And we are God's household, if we keep up our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ. That is why the Holy Spirit says, Today you must listen to his voice. Don't harden your hearts against him as Israel did when they rebelled, when they tested God's patience in the wilderness. There your ancestors tried my patience, even though they saw my miracles for forty years. So I was angry with them, and I said, Their hearts always turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger I made a vow. They will never enter my place of rest. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day, as long as it is called today, so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. But never forget the warning. Today you must listen to his voice. Don't harden your hearts against him as Israel did when they rebelled. And who were those people who rebelled against God, even though they heard his voice? Weren't they the ones Moses led out of Egypt, and who made God angry for forty years? Wasn't it the people who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness, and to whom was God speaking when he vowed that they would never enter his place of rest? He was speaking to those who disobeyed him. So we see that they were not allowed to enter his rest because of their unbelief. Heavenly Father, we thank you that as we come to your word today, may our hearts be soft. May we receive your love and your care for us. Lord, help us to obey you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Well, it's wonderful to see this good-looking young couple here this morning. Um, Just great to see you, Lydia. Looking amazing. So, praise the Lord, hey? And please keep people in your prayers as Warwick prayed. Um, Lydia, I'm uh, just uh, continuing some rehab. Uh, Kai has had an operation and there'd be many others who you would know. Um, It's good to uphold people in prayer. Give each other a phone call and encourage each other and bless one another. Amen? Hebrews chapter 3 is our text for today. And probably it's fair to say that this uh, verse 1 of chapter 3 is a, is a really key verse. Um, it just contains, I guess, a little bit of what we already know and what we've already been told. And I just want to show you that in a moment. It's got this phrase, brothers and sisters who belong to God. Uh, we all want to belong to someone, don't we? We all want to belong to a club or belong to a group, 
belong to a family, the need to belong is so powerful in us, isn't it? We, we really want to belong. We want to feel like this place is like home. This is a place where that's my spot in this construct, in this social construct. But it's, it's not just an artificial social construct, it's a genuine relational need. What does the Word of God say? The Word of God says that we belong to God. Brothers and sisters, we belong to God. It's interesting to me that the Bible always begins with relationship first and mission second. Always relationship first and then mission. Because of our relationship, we engage in mission. It's not the other way around. It's always relationship first. The next part of this verse is partners with those called to heaven. Partners. We have a partnership. We have a share. We have a claim. We have this expectation of something to come, something that we understand to be heaven. The book of Hebrews is really not as concerned about salvation in a justification sense. This letter was written to Christians, written to people like us. Hebrews is very interested in what we might call eschatological salvation, which is what is to come, what is to come when Christ returns. It's what we do with our justification that Hebrews is writing about. We are partners in that. We are called to serve Him as part of that process. It's a very powerful statement. You are a partner with Jesus and you are called to heaven. Isn't it amazing? Called to heaven. Um, it, it goes on and... and uh, We'll skip that bit. Um, it goes on and says, think carefully about this Jesus. That think carefully, uh, guess what it means? Think carefully. Uh, it, it really means to think, it really means to stop and think carefully. It means don't, don't treat it casually, but hold it with a sense of care. Uh, my oldest daughter has just started working at McDonald's and she's cleaning tables and I think made some fries and a few things along those lines. But one of the things we've tried to tell her is to don't hold this job casually, but really care for it. Think about what you're doing. Consider how you're working. Give it some consideration. Don't just treat it casually. This is what this idea of think carefully, but who are we thinking carefully about? It's calling us to think carefully about Jesus. It's in the center of the verse. In the Hebrew mind, the middle of the verse was really important. And, and so, so in, in this sense, when we think about Jesus carefully, when we give Him due consideration, we get that we belong to God. We, it, it just fits better with us that, yeah, it makes sense that we belong to God because of what Jesus has done. It makes sense that, that I'm a brother and a sister. It makes sense that I'm a partner because of what Jesus has done. And then going on, Jesus... Uh, whom we declare to be God's messenger and high priest. Now, Moses, and this pa uh, chapter uh, begins to deal with Moses in comparison to Christ, but Moses was, was someone who was a messenger, and Aaron was a high priest. But Jesus captures this dual title, high priest and messenger. Another word for messenger is apostle. Some of your translations might use the word apostle. 
The apostle is a messenger of God, someone who speaks the message of God faithfully. I'm not going to look at the high priest aspect too much, that's really going to come up much more in chapters 5 and 7. So I'm just going to kind of park that, that there. But Jesus captures these two titles. But perhaps the phrase you might really know is this phrase. Maybe you've heard it said from this platform like this. I said all that to say... Who have you heard say that before? I think Pastor Rouse, one of his favourite statements, this is a shorter version, and so. In other words, chapters 1 and 2, because of that, now this. I said all that to say this. So what has been said? Well, Jesus is greater than the prophets. Jesus is greater than the angels. Jesus is, is a greater messenger. He's a greater apostle than anyone who's come beforehand. And then there's this Christological statements about Jesus. Jesus himself is God's own glory. Jesus is the character of God. Jesus is flesh and blood. He's, there's a relational aspect where he's the son He's the perfect leader. He's merciful, faithful. He's been given all authority. He's been given all glory, honour. And He sits on the throne, the throne over all things. This is the person, Jesus. Those adjectives don't fit when you say and talk about the person, Ben. What would we say about you if we were to talk about the person, you? What sort of words and adjectives would you have? Here's the amazing thing. We are brothers and sisters with Christ. We are in Christ. So can I say that if we dare to believe the extent of which Christ has saved us and rescued us, we now partake in all of those titles that He has. That just blows my mind and it's so hard to understand. But Jesus invites us into His life. We partake as brothers and sisters with Him. We are part of His inheritance. We rule with Christ. It's just really hard for us to get through because when I look at myself, when you look at yourself, what do you see? The writer of Hebrews wants to encourage us to see Jesus. To see Jesus. So these, these things are, are, are about a process of understanding that that Christ in us must increase and we must decrease. And the writer of Hebrews is really talking to this group of people along the lines of, what God has said, do you trust it? What God has said, do you trust it? You see, the progression of relationship with Jesus is growing in trust with Him. Do you recall what Jesus says to Peter? Jesus says to Peter at, at the end of the time when Jesus is on earth, He says, Peter... When you were young, you could do whatever you wanted. But when you get older, people are going to chain you up and they're going to, they're going to take you away. It's a very powerful message of the more you become mature in Christ, the less control you exert and the more trust you have in Him in every circumstance. If you're someone who needs to control things, then Hebrews is saying to you, become mature and trust Him. Grow in your trust of Him. Grow in your understanding of what God has said and trust Him. This is not an easy task. Does anybody else find this difficult? Who here is a naturally a trusting person? Put your hand up. I want to see where the optimistic, trusting people are. Hang on a second. One up the back, one there. There's a couple of people who, a few who just trust. You know what? You are treasures 
and I want you to sit on the front row and I just want to preach to you. But when I preach this message, I'm preaching to myself. Do we trust God? Do we trust Him? Chapter 3, you could maybe summarize like this. There's a, a, the key verse we've just summarized in verse 1. Then it talks about how Jesus is greater than Moses. It introduces this concept in the next few verses. Then it, by looking at Moses and his life, it, it gives us a second warning. Remember last week, we looked at the first warning. So this is, week is now a second warning. And then there are some very specific instructions. And that is where I want to finish today. Um, what... Arguably, Moses is a very important figure. For the Jewish mind, Moses is like the absolute king. It's, it's, uh, I was going to say the Steve Smith, but it doesn't work anymore. Um, Moses, he, he, he's, he's like the guru to the Jewish people. I mean, he saw God. He, he brought people out of slavery and was part of the process of seeing these people become a nation, become a people unto God. Moses is huge. Moses was in charge of Israel. Moses had a part in building the tabernacle. But as we read in Hebrews, uh, it's not the house that's built that should receive the honour, it's the one who built it. Moses built the tabernacle. What does it say about Jesus? It says about Jesus early on in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 and also Psalm chapter 102 that in the beginning the foundations of the world were laid through you. Which house is better? The foundations of the universe or the tabernacle? It wasn't a trick question. The universe. In other words, the writer of Hebrews is saying, by any measure, Jesus is greater than Moses. You remember what we spoke about Jesus in chapter 1 and 2? How, how Jesus is this person who, who the whole universe was created through him? Well, Jesus is a builder of the universe. He's a builder of the world. The foundations of the world were laid through Jesus. Jesus is greater than Moses, just on that definition alone. To the Jewish mindset, it would have been, yes, of course. It's not that we don't honour Moses. It's not that we don't take note of what he's done, but we don't allow him to supersede what Jesus has done. I find it amazing, so many things in our life we allow to creep in and supersede Christ. And that's part of the first warning, that's part of the drift. That's part of the, just, the, just the natural drifting away from Christ. The relationship with Christ cannot be passive, it must be active. We must be focused on Him. The writer, uh, um, even in regards to Moses, notes that Moses was someone who who died. Moses was someone who, who never entered the promised land. Moses was someone who was with a generation of people, but he never quite got there himself. Compared to Jesus, he overcame death. And now he offers us the promised land, his life, himself. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than him. Uh, if we look at um, where it begins to talk about the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit says from verses 7 to 11. It's actually quoting Psalm 95. It's about trust, this idea of trust. Do you trust in God? The psalmist says this, Do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did on the day at Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. 
the Hebrew writer is quoting this passage from Psalm 95. But where does this passage come from? Well, this passage comes from Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 to 7. It's the moment where Moses has brought the community out of Israel. Moses is, is, is uh, being freed out of slavery. Pharaoh's army is dead. They're heading into the wilderness. There are no water deliveries. There are no Uber Eats. It just doesn't exist out there. They are marching into the middle of nowhere. And what it says in verse 1 of Exodus chapter 17, and you might just want to write that in your notes if you want to look that up later, it says that they moved from place to place as the Lord commanded. So these were a people who were becoming used to following God as He commanded. As the Lord told them to move, then they moved, and they moved again, and they moved again. But there was this one issue that they struggled to really trust God with. It was water. Yes, Lord, I'll trust you to move from A to B, but I can't see any water at A or B. And so they began to mumble. They began to complain. They began to say things that questioned God himself. They quarreled with Moses. They, they said, and, and Moses said, why are you testing God? What does that mean? Well, the people were grumbling. Here's some of the things that they were saying. Why did you even bring us out of Egypt? Why did you even remove us from slavery? Just so that our children and our livestock and we will die for lack of water. And Moses was so worried, he went to the Lord and said, Lord, these people are going to stone me. I'm really, like, these people are, are on the edge of going nuts. It was like a riot was about to take place. A very scary moment. Moses says, these people are going to stone me. And so what did God say to Moses? He said, go to the rock and strike it and water will come out. And at that moment, water gushed and everyone had water. Everyone had water. Yet the Lord said that they tested me. You see, the cry of the people was, is the Lord here or not? I don't see water. Is God really here or not? I know everything else that's happened beforehand, the miracles, the coming out of Egypt, you know, all these amazing things have taken place. My shoes just do not wear out. I've got the same set of Reeboks I've had forever and they're fine. My clothes are in amazing condition, yet there's no water. Lord, are you really here or not? It's almost like the people are testing. The people weren't able to see with their eyes of faith. They, they trusted Lord for some things but didn't trust Him with everything. Are you with me? This is the substance of the, what the book of Hebrews is encouraging people of that time to trust the Lord, to trust His Word. You know what? That's the same word for us today. Do you really trust Him? Do you really, really trust Him? And the psalmist goes so far to say that, you know what? This process of not trusting in God, it's actually a hardening of your heart. It's, 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 actually, it actually means that you're, you're not living in faith the way you should be. To harden your heart means you're ignoring what God has done before, you're ignoring Him now. Hardening your heart means to travel from place to place but believe God's not going to provide for you and look after you. I mean, we, we have a, a missions plan that we've just begun talking about. 
That, that is a very clear statement of what our hopes are. That's a declaration of what we're hoping God will fulfill through us and in us. To harden our heart would be to go, ah, we can't do that. Ah, God won't provide. Ah, it's not going to happen. God, where are you really? Or when it doesn't seem to be working out, it's like, oh God, you're not going to be there. It's not going to work. This, this plan's a waste. No. No, you see, see in, in these people's words, they were, they were taking steps as the Lord led, but they couldn't trust Him for water. They'd hardened their hearts. We have to do the same. We take steps. Yes, we, we know we're saved, but it's amazing how we can harden our hearts also in the smallest things, in the smallest things. I reckon sometimes we put God on trial. If you're really God, then... We might not say it like that, but that becomes our attitude. You know what's really powerful? Is that after 40 years, the children of Israel go around in a big circle and they come back to this same point. There's another generation there. And you're not going to believe what happens in Numbers 20. You're just not going to believe it. There's no water again. And the people begin to complain. They say, there's no water. There's... There's nothing to drink. And they begin saying, if only we had died earlier before God, it'd be better than this. In Numbers chapter 20, it says, why did you bring the Lord's community into the wilderness where our livestock are going to die? Our children are going to die. It's the same complaint. It's the same issue. It's the same sense of, I really need a drink. There's no water there. I can't control it. I've just got to trust God from it. You know, I could probably go for a fair few days without food. Put your hand up if you agree with that today. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I could probably outlive most of you, to be honest. Um, James will go pretty quick. He's pretty thin. (laughs) Harry's going to go fast. I'll be fine, okay? But you leave me a day without water. Two days without water. Even just an afternoon without water. Does anyone have a dry mouth right now? <laughs> you know, this, this is a very present need. I don't know what your very present need is. Your recurring, very present need. Do you trust God with that? Do you trust Him with that? And, and the challenge of this passage about why Jesus is greater than Moses comes down, I believe, to this passage in Numbers chapter 20. And here it is. Moses again goes back and he says, God, these people are going to kill me. What do you want me to do? And here's what God says this time. He says, you know what? Go to the rock and speak to it. So Moses goes to the rock, but he doesn't speak. What does he do? He strikes it twice. Now, it's important to recognize something. One of the issues Moses had about serving God, when God first called Moses to serve him, Moses says, God, I can't because I can't speak. What was Moses' ever-present need? Speak. What did God ask him to trust him with? To speak. See, he could grab a stick and whack something. I reckon if I, could, I, reckon if I even gave Lydia a stick, he, she could whack with a stick. But to speak... Moses' ever-present weakness, the, the thing that Moses had to trust God with above most other things. 
You know, he could raise the staff and the waters would split open and they'd cross through. He, he could do all sorts of amazing things. He could uphold his hands and battles would be won. But would he trust God to speak? His greatest weakness, after everything that Moses had gone through, God was saying, will you trust me with that, Moses? Will you trust me with the thing that you are most sensitive with? Will you trust me with the thing that most concerned? You know, Moses, that thing that, that drives that sense of self-worth, that thing that drives that sense of self-esteem, that thing that drives you where you don't feel like you're good enough, the weakness that's in there that you know, it speaks to you and it shouts at you, are you going to trust me with that? What is the thing that you need to trust God with? That's what chapter 3 is all about. Do you believe Jesus is greater than your weakness? Do you believe that? Do you believe that? But Moses, he hardened his heart and he struck the rock. Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. And this is why Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater because... He overcame death. As Warwick shared at communion, he was divine and he tasted death. Jesus was greater because, because as he was hanging on the cross, he said, Father, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? Something happened that it doesn't matter how much of a theologian you are, to understand what happened on the cross in that moment is a mystery, a holy mystery where God took the full and total pain of broken relationship, of disobedience, of sin, where Jesus took it on board and something happened within God himself. And Jesus overcame that. Jesus obeyed. He went to the cross. He endured the cross and he entrusted his spirit to Father God. And in three days' time, he rose again. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than any circumstance you face. Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. Moving to Hebrews chapter 3, in this particular aspect of instruction, um, there's three really important verses that I, I just want to quickly review. It says, Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it is still today, so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. That word all in the Greek means all. All. All things. That is, that is an amazing promise. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? What's interesting here is, is that the particular word to warn is also in some translations it might say encourage or exhort. That word in the Greek is paraclete. Now who else, as soon as I say paraclete, who comes to mind? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. The noun word of that Greek word paraclete is the Holy Spirit himself. What this verse is encouraging us to do is the verb aspect of that word, is to do the work of the paraclete. In other words, to be a comfort to people, to be an encouragement to people, to be an exhorter to people. It doesn't mean to go around and say, 
gee, that's not a very good way to live, that's not this, that's not. that doesn't mean to come in as a judge, it means to come alongside and encourage and say, hey, Jesus is so much greater than your problem, Jesus is so much greater than what you're facing, Jesus is so much greater than what you're going through, trust Him, believe Him, take your concerns to Him, give Him that weakest part of your life and place it before His feet and trust Him, trust Him, trust Him. It's such a powerful action word for us. In John chapter 14 and verse 16, Jesus says, I must go so that another may come, the comforter, the paraclete. Paul says this in 1, uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. He says, God says my grace is all you need. God says my power works best in weakness, in weakness. Our response needs to be to trust God with the areas of weakness. The areas of weakness. Weakness. You see, to be faithful people means trusting God, not just with what we're strong at, but to be faithful for the writer of Hebrews means to trust Him with what we're weak at. Do you trust Him with your health? Do you trust Him with your finance? Do you trust Him with your relationships, employment? Do you trust Him with your children, your future, your purpose? Do you trust Him with unforgiveness that you have? Do you trust Him with frustration, a sense of helplessness? Do you trust Him with depression that you face, a sense of failure that you have to deal with? Maybe it's just pride. Do you trust Him with your pride? Maybe it's giving up. Maybe there's a part of your life where you've just given up in that space. Do you trust Him with that? Do you trust Him? Maybe you're stuck in the past, not able to trust Him. Maybe it's a sense of a lack of justice. Justice hasn't been done. I've still, I've still been treated poorly and no justice has come about. Do you trust Him with that? Maybe you've stopped being generous with your time, your gifts, sharing, your words, money? Do you trust Him with your weakness? Can I say to you that God loves you so much? God loves you even when you don't trust Him? Do you know that while Moses couldn't enter into the promised land, God Himself buried him? God loved Moses. Moses was a friend of God. Moses was someone who God spoke so clearly. He said, you know what? I do all sorts of things with people, but to Moses, I speak to him in a way that is like pure friendship. I mean, that is, that is God himself speaking about this communion and relationship. You see, the writer of Hebrews isn't, isn't saying that Moses was out and he was rejected from heaven. No, Moses... Moses is with, with Jesus forever. What Moses missed out on was going into the promised land. Can I say that if you don't give over your weaknesses, there will be aspects of the promised land that you will not experience. Is it okay to say that today? The writer of Hebrews is so clear that for Christ, for the Christian, to hand over our weaknesses is not an option. And if we do not do this, there will be things that we don't get to see 
or don't get to experience. It doesn't mean God rejects us and, and kicks us away. Moses teaches us that. God himself buried Moses, but he never got to go into the promised land. What do you do with your weaknesses? This week, would you come alongside someone and encourage them? Truly, this week, could I ask you, just one person, choose one person today and get their number and just encourage them. Just encourage them. Just just say, hey, listen, I've got nothing else to say, but I just want you to know I'm praying for you. Is there anything that I can pray for? Would, would you make it your business this week while it still is today to encourage somebody sitting here in church, maybe someone you know who's not here? Would you make it your task this week, just one person, one person? The, the Word is so clear, it encourages us to encourage. Encouragement is so powerful. The, the, the power of coming alongside someone and just almost as it were, placing your hand on them and say, hey, I care for you. I appreciate you. I love what you do. I love how God's gifted you. I love how you serve Him. Thank you so much. May God grant you everything you need. May you continue to trust Him. May you continue to stand in faith for the things God's got for you. I'm going to stand here with you. I'm going to cheer you on. I'm going to pray. I want to be one of your supporters. I want to be one of your encouragers. What would happen to us if we each received that while it still is today? What would happen? How would that change you and shape you if you received that from a brother and sister today? What would that do for you? I think you'd be comforted. Wouldn't you? You'd be comforted you'd be comforted. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than our disobedience. Another word for that is our lack of trust. You see, Jesus trusted the Father and was in full obedience to Him, even unto death. Jesus is greater. This week, I believe, the writer of Hebrews invites us to do the work of the paraclete. Would you do that this week?